We actually won a Japanese comedy show. I say we, um, his pronunciation is so poor that he has to have subtitles and I hold the subtitles. What's up, Kodakira Squad? Welcome back to the podcast. So this week we talked to BJ Fox, who does comedy in both Japanese and English. He owns his own comedy club. You might have seen him before on Terrace House. He had a brief appearance and he also had uh, several clips go viral. So we talk about his experience doing comedy in Japan, getting to a high level of Japanese and his thoughts on comedy in Japan. But you know what's not comedy? Absolutely destroying and smashing the like button and following us on Twitter. So go do that and let's get right into it. Okay, so BJ Fox, can you give us a quick background of who you are and where you're at today? I guess the top line introduction is I'm a British Tokyo-based stand-up comedian. I've been in Japan this time since 2015 when I was essentially in my real life job I was transferred to Tokyo from Singapore it was my second time in Japan I the street speaking third time I did it one year of yugaku one year of study when I was a younger man and then I did two years on the jet program and then came back to Japan when I guess I was 33 and um, so I'm a stand-up comedian but maybe I think you guys saw me on a brief appearance on Terrace House where one of the characters, characters, one of the members of the house, uh, was uh, trying stand-up comedy for the first time, and I emceed that gig. Uh, maybe some other listeners might know me from. I did, had four years of a sitcom, uh, an English language sitcom in NHK World called Home Sweet Tokyo as well. And I've done a few other TV projects as well, and I guess now my main project is I've just opened a stand-up comedy club in Tokyo. Yeah, that's kind of interesting that you came to Japan like at 33, having um, lived there for like cumulative three years before that, right? Yeah, yeah. So w would you say you were already fluent by the time you came over the, the, the last time? Um, yes and no. So after one year of Yugak, I took Ikkyu. So I took Ikkyu and passed it after one year of, uh, not, sorry, not one year of study, I'd studied more, but um, mm. one year of being here. So in that sense, Ikkyu, level one, or I think it was called J1. It's right. over 20 years and ago. Now it's like the J N1, right? N1. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I took that. I took that after one year in ICU. Um, so if that's an indication of fluency, then yeah, you could say I was fluent. But re in reality, I, I rarely use Japanese after Jet, and I was very much a book-led. You know, I, I was strong at. I knew, I knew kanji, uh, but I had no, let's say, no Japanese friends. And I lived away from Japan for 10 years. Although even though in those 10 years, I was working for a video games company and I had a lot of connection with Japan. I was leading the Japanese marketing. And before I came back to Japan, I was in Singapore running the Asian operations for a video game company. Uh, and maybe it's changed this year with changed recently with like the rise of uh, well, like, like console gaming in China's grown a lot in the last few years but when I was there Japan was 50% of the market so even though I was based in Singapore I did a lot of work with Japan and I would use I would use Japanese so yeah so when I came back you know Actually, for, for, for example, like we, we were talking just before air that one of my videos, comedy videos, went viral with me doing comedy in Japanese. Mm -hmm. um, that that level of Japanese, I was able. That was after like nine months of coming back. Oh wow! Wow. That video was nine months, but how soon until you were able to like do comedy and have the confidence to do comedy? Oh, straight away, actually. Sorry, yeah, wow. sort of straight away, yeah. Well, because I, was, I started doing comedy, I started doing stand-up comedy when I was living in Singapore. I guess my first gig was when I was about 33. I'm 40 now, 40 now, by the way. Uh, when I was 32 in 2013. And I loved it. I was so obsessed by stand-up comedy at that stage. And then I got transferred to back to Tokyo. And I guess at that stage, I was worried that coming to Tokyo there wouldn't be any opportunity to do comedy. So straight away, even before I'd arrived, I'd arranged a gig. 
I just contacted a bar I used to go to sometimes when I was on business trips here saying could I do a stand-up comedy gig in your bar and I did that in Japanese and it, by the way it wasn't great so in that sense I was able to you know do comedy in Japanese and was that your first time doing comedy in Japanese no actually it wasn't my first ever gig in Japanese was with Bobby Judo oh no oh, way <laughs> with Bobby Judo former guest of um this pod of this pod and that was actually what a kind of podcast that was like three months before i moved so basically i was supposed to move to japan in the beginning of 2015 for various admin issues related to my company i didn't get the visa so i had to go back to singapore but i'd already booked this gig in fukuoka and bobby judo maybe either he was headlining or he was hosting i can't remember um and I decided, even though I was back in Singapore, I thought, well, I've booked the gig. I want to make friends with the community of comedians there. Looking forward to doing the show anyway. So I went and I flew from Singapore via Vietnam to Fukuoka for a, a, a nice weekend of fun. And uh, that was my first ever gig. Yeah, that was my first ever gig. So what happened in Bobby Judo was like, all right, yeah, don't come back to Fukuoka or what <laughs> happened? <laughs> uh, no, no, Bobby, hey, Bobby Judo is a very, very funny man um, and a nice man. No, I've got a long-standing relationship of pretty much whenever Bobby comes to Tokyo, he will do one of my English language gigs. Maybe not not, not over the last two years, there have been no English language gigs. But um, when, you know, Bobby talks about being Tokyo Rose Battle Champion, which he was or is, but he definitely was for a long time, um, that, that was would be at a gig that I uh, would organise. Yeah, that, that Fukuoka trip, that was a, that was a, a blast. And it was a, an eye-opening experience of like how comedy works in Japan. Yeah. At least your, one of your first times wasn't aired on TV, like on Terrace House. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor, poor Kai. That was unfortunate. I would say, if anyone ever thinks about doing stand-up comedy, invite one close friend for support don't invite all your friends because right. chances yeah. are you won't it won't go as well as you hope and <laughs> definitely don't have it filmed on right. national or not even national tv global tv yeah. and his friends couldn't understand english i think so they couldn't even laugh at the his <laughs> yeah <before>. yeah <laughs> i would say that that wasn't his first time he actually did the gig oh. the night before he did a gig the night before as well as a, as a as a rehearsal and one of the issues was is that the night before it went really well Oh. oh really yeah it went really well and i think that was part of the maybe the problem i don't want to speak put words into kai's mouth but i think maybe having had gone at an open mic the night before where it was a very supportive environment everyone's like yeah this is kai making his debut yeah big round of applause then to the real thing where it was more of a genuine audience and all of a sudden what he thought was going to go really well didn't and then it you know it's hard honestly dying on stage is a is a tough business right. so yeah do you think it's any different um when it's a Japanese audience, because I feel like they might be more polite and laugh um, versus an, a Western audience. I don't think Japanese people politely laugh at comedy gigs, actually. They might politely enjoy it, they might politely smile, and they won't get annoyed, or they won't... Yeah, we don't really get heckles here anyway. They won't right. do that, but, right. you know, a Japanese language, Japanese show, and I'm not talking bands, I'm talking stand-up comedy, which is... I won't don't really need to get into the differences, really, but let's say it's not organised in a... The people coming are coming to see a Japanese, uh, Japanese stand-up comedy. They're not like all I fans. Yeah, they don't necessarily laugh politely. Yeah, they naru hodo and saw this From a comedian's point of view, you don't want those either. I guess, uh, kind of on the topic of the different types of comedy, what, what are your thoughts on, um, like manzai and rakugo? Like, have you ever thought about doing that? There's like, I think there's a lot of foreigners that are doing that now. 
as well. Yeah, there are there are foreigners who do that. I, like I've done M1, M1 being the the man's eye the man's eye competition here. I've done that twice. Oh. I got through one round. I would never think about really doing it seriously, just because. Actually, it's more of a, a, a greediness. You know, when I do stand up in Tokyo, um, you know. I run a lot of the shows here. I've, well, now I've got my own club. You know, I regularly do 20 minutes, 25 minutes on stage. When I've done the man, like the man's ice gigs, you have to wait like seven hours to get to get the sh to get on stage, and you get three minutes, and it's just not enough. And basically, I'm, you know, I'm just too old to be doing that mm. sort of thing. I'm spending my whole day for three minutes of comedy, where at best I'll get another huddle. To be honest, I think the main difference is, from my point of view, is more of a kind of systemic issue as or structural issue as opposed to like sense of humour. You know, when you do man's eye, you have to belong to an agency. You know, you get the gigs right. that they, they give you, you know. And as soon as you join an agency, you're a comedian. I think stand-up's a lot freer. You know, you just rock up to an open mic and anyone can perform, really. Certainly in Tokyo, maybe it's a bit different in more developed, you know, more developed scenes where you have to sign up for open mics. Yeah, we've got, we actually are getting quite a few Japanese comedians who are maybe feeling a bit stifled by the Japanese structure and just like coming to an open mic and saying what they like to say and not having to book it in advance and stuff. I was just gonna ask like, um, how do you prepare for stand-up comedy? Like, do you like write out specifically the jokes that you're gonna say if you're talking for 25 minutes? Or do you just kind of like free flow and tell the story? Oh, oh no, oh, no, no, no. I don't write them out, but I will know what I'm saying. I know like the beginning and the end point. A 25 minute set will be made up of smaller bits that I've practiced on a number of times. Um, you know, typically mm -hmm. the way I actually like, for example, in Tokyo, the way we structure it is Mondays and Thursdays are open mics. Wednesday, you might do 10 minutes and Friday, you might get 15 to 20 minutes. And, you know, the joke will hopefully move from being on an open mic, polished up, get onto a Wednesday, then, you know, finally become part of the main set on, on the weekend. So, yeah, so even though I don't write it out, maybe I write it out at the beginning, but when it's coming to the end, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to talk about this topic. I'm going to talk about, let's say, combinis. I'm going to talk about mm -hmm. favourite food. Class. I'm going to talk about... Yeah, I, yeah, I said comedians. I don't actually have a comedy joke, but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know, and then just like, have these points that I'm, I'll swing to um, uh, from here, here to there, and that's the way it works. I do a lot of comedy with a, a Dutch gentleman, a singer songwriter called uh, Ruben VM. Um, very funny. Check out his musical comedy on on YouTube. But we actually won a Japanese comedy show on TV. I say we. Um, his Japanese is so poor that well, he can't speak Japanese, but his pronunciation is so poor that he has to have subtitles. <laughs> so I and I hold the subtitles. Oh. So he sings, and I'm holding the subtitles. And, it, and we make we, we use that kind of real estate on the stage. These flip charts so we can make extra jokes. Well, that was an interesting experience of doing Japanese comedy, where he wrote a Japanese song. Then we turn up to the show. We practice it a number of times in front of Japanese audiences. And then the Japanese comedy writers like, no, you have to change this. It won't work. Oh, really? Yeah, it won't work. Oh, Japanese people don't like this. Won't find this funny. And actually he refused. <laughs> he, he stood up and he said, oh, then we won't do it. And then they let us into the competition. Um, still, I think they just needed some diversity there. In the end, he won. But it, it did kind of show like how I felt from our point of view, Japan comedy comes from you. You know, you have something you want to say. The origina originality is so important. I think Manzai, the idea that a, a Japanese comedy writer was just going to rewrite our song uh, and make it funnier. And it, maybe even if it was funnier, I don't think Ruben would want to sing it anyway because it's not his song anymore. And I think that's maybe a difference. Whereas a lot of the Japanese comedy, even in the Manzai, typically, you know, one member of the team will write the comedy and another person will perform it with them. And I guess from my kind of stand-up point of view, I don't, I don't know why you would ever want to do that.
why you would be happy. You'd become an actor then. I guess I've done some acting, so that's the same thing. But yeah, so I think that's maybe that's one difference as well. Well, we, we should have asked this to Nick when he came on the podcast. Like, hey, you're just an actor, huh? You're not a comedian anymore. <laughs> well, well, so I'm, I'm friends with Nick. I'm friends with Nick Norton as well. Um, and I think, right. you know, he's got a very pragmatic stroke maybe cynical view of Japanese comedy as well actually I've been spoken to him for a while but I don't know where he is at his he's doing so many other things as well um, I don't know where he is with his comedy journey at the moment I do a lot of work with a Japanese comedian called um, Munamoto Daisuke who's part of a, a, a duo called Woman Rush Hour the reason I do work with I've worked with him is because he wants to do stand-up and honestly you look at his man's eye he will do 95% of the speaking and his partner will do 5% and I do look at that and I'm like, like where is the satisfaction in, in that? Where, like, why would you dedicate your life to standing next to someone else speaking? But I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> yeah, for quick context, Nick is being a Chad right now. That is his right. life duty currently. Okay, okay. Yeah. I know I know he's gone like heavy into the... Ink, so I don't know why we're talking about Nick on my podcast. Um, but <laughs> I know he... <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We, we don't need to talk about Nick anymore. He has his uh, own podcast. He can, yeah. he can go. <laughs> we, we know what he's up to. That's it. We, we don't yeah, need yeah. to hear any more anymore. Um, but he uh, he used to do a podcast called Big in Japan or maybe Little in Japan. And I sometimes would host that as well with him. So you don't yeah. remember which one it is. It's a big or a little. I think they changed it midway. They, that's why. <laughs> yeah, and they changed it. Yeah, they changed it midway. Where so. do you think they started at? Did they start at little that they're like, oh, no, 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 we got to go big? Or <laughs> they're like, oh, this is not working out. We're little. We're little guys. I think they started. Oh, maybe I'm getting this wrong. I, I imagine they started at big in Japan. They they then realized actually the inherent humor of saying little in Japan is way funnier. And also probably more accurate. Like when, you know, there, there is a view that people have even like my friends at home like let's say i had a sitcom on nhk for four years am i big in japan no no one knows who i am you know you think you know as a foreigner sometimes you hit these levels of success in japan and you think that's oh, me life-changing and the reality is nothing no, sorry, that's so way more depressing. It is something, but it's not it's not life-changing in any way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys. Make sure to go pull up to the open mics. Don't let this hinder you. You're going to be big in Japan, just in a not as big way. But don't worry. Don't worry. For me, in doing stand-up, you know, the goal is to do stand-up. The goal is not right. necessarily to become famous. You know, I like right. it as a hobby. You know, I like doing it with my friends. Um, you know, maybe now I've opened a comedy bar. I'm trying to make it something a comedy bar sorry a comedy club i've been in japan too long um it's, it's you know hopefully coming becoming more sustainable but yeah the goal is not to become famous and i think if that if your goal is to become famous then that's opening a, uh, a pathway to disappointment and that's everything in life don't aim to be happy don't aim to be rich aim to be happy <laughs> you know and hopefully the money will come in later <laughs> You've met, you said you met so many um, friends. So is, is that kind of how you organize your shows? You have a lot of friends or you, like you mentioned, people make the main show from the open mics? Well, no, so, I, so I came here back in 2015. Yeah, and I don't make the shows with my friends, but over the time, those people I do the shows with have become very mm. good friends. Um, and the club right. itself had, was, you know, was a decision post-COVID of four of us who are the main performers, not, not the main performers, but some of the main performers to just say, okay, if we're going to come back, we haven't done a show in two years, are we going to come back and be doing like, we were doing five to six shows a week before COVID, but different places every time, you know, we do a show in Yokohama, show in Roppongi, show, show in Shimokitazawa, just a lot of work organising and also, you know, getting paid in 
free drinks and pizza. So the decision, as we've all got a bit older and coming back after COVID, how do we want to come back? And we decided to do it our, ourselves. But yeah, no, essentially it's a community of 30 to 40, I was going to say foreigners, but not necessarily like Japanese comedians as well who like to perform stand up. And, you know, we try to create a circuit where new people can get involved, mm. can improve practice and move up slowly and get exposed to bigger shows as much as possible. Yeah. But yeah, over time, these, you know, it's so all consuming. These people have become my good friends. And, Bob, and Bobby Judo, you know, it was part of that community. I'll be he is based in Fukuoka or Saga wherever it is yeah maybe we need to go into the comedy circuit once we get a trip to over to japan maybe we don't record the first uh comedy gig but we we may or may not have to do something at your comedy club we just take it over <laughs> well, we, well we did i've got a podcast as well and we did a live recording of the podcast uh, last week in the club and it was great oh, no fun way yeah so it was great fun so yeah more than welcome i guess like having met so many comedians like foreigner or not famous or not yeah. are there people that you think are like the peak like comedic geniuses yeah question? it's a hard question like we've got some good talent i would say in tokyo and there's one gentleman called john sabai he's a texan filipino texan um who, who works with us and he, i would say he's somehow he's got something you can't bottle up he's got something that i can't understand but it works every single time. And, and yeah, and I've worked, but then it went back you know, back in the day, back in the glory days of 2019, when borders were open and we'd get, you know, we had Jim Gaffigan just rock up for a show once. We've had Hannibal Barres rock oh. up for a show, like literally in a tiny little, not in our club because we we're doing it in other places then. But, and when you see people like that close up doing their magic, actually it works two ways. One, you're like, wow, they're a genius. And the other thing is like, why am I bothering? Why? It's like, so much better than we are. It's so much better. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we have got some good people, and equally, like I've done some interest. There's a Japanese lady called Yudian Retriever. You might have seen her perform on America's Got Talent. I think I do like know she, who you're talking about. She kind of performed in a bikini, a stars and bikini, America's Got Talent. Anyway, we did an English show. She came to an English show with us. That was interesting for me as well because not fluent in English, strong enough English, but not fluent. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow whatever she's got transcends the language barrier. You know, whatever, you know, when you talk about Japanese sense of humor, Western sense of humor, whether that those things even exist, that lady can trans- transcend that with body language. And it was just genuinely very funny. Um, well, was the body language, did that have anything to do with the bikini? <laughs> no, no, she's, I think the, the, if you look at the Americans Got Talent clip, it's not particularly funny. And it's also not representative of what she does either on stage. Her actual stand-up is more traditional stand-up, but with like f- interesting physicality. In the kind right. of um, you know, kind of expanding on the jokes there. Yeah, I think like yeah. Do- Dogen is also kind of like transcending. He's like telling in Japanese to a Western audience. I feel like love Dogen, love Dogen. Yeah, genuinely very funny. Super niche. How would you kind of come up with your own jokes? Because you mentioned Dogens are pretty niche, right? So how would you categorize your own jokes and what? How, what's your thought process behind coming up with them? Not very interesting. Essentially, when I say something that makes my wife laugh. <laughs> that is it that is generally the genesis of most of my jokes i say something that my wife laughs at and i'm like okay hold that thought and i write it down oh that's that's one thing my, my jokes are pretty niche as well actually i would say uh, and i also don't like pandering to an audience i believe if you 
do something that you think is funny, in the end it should work and you should persevere with that. But my, like for example, my Japanese jokes essentially, even like the video that went viral. Um, so when I say viral, I'm not talking like Dorgan level virality. Um, I think it got like 300K views. That is essentially me talking about colonization in Singapore. You know, <laughs> I haven't adapted that at all for a Japanese market. I'm just doing, right. essentially when I left Singapore in 2015, I had like a farewell show. and I just translated that show into Japanese. And right. talking about the Merlion, talking about like the pressures I feel living in a country that the British Empire formerly colonized and what that means in terms of, you know, representing your people out overseas. This is all like slightly fake, intelligent chat to like line up a load of gags. But, you know, yeah, essentially fairly niche stuff, but say it with a good rhythm and with passion and people will listen. But now is that time that we have been leading up to here. BJ Fox, I know you have a long journey here all the way through Singapore. You've had an entire comedy journey going to Japan three times and now you're here for the long run. And I know this entire time you've been really crafting this one message, this Korekara message. You've been making a lot of jokes, but none bigger than this. This is not a joke, by the way. This is not a joke, but I know it's time. And I've I heard something a little bit earlier that this might be in Japanese. It, it might be a native Japanese, who knows? But I'm gonna go and put you on the spot, BJ Fox. Here it is. Let's hear what the Korekara message is today. Okay, I'll give it up. That's it. That's my Japanese. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. There we can go. I, can I just also say that's probably the first time I've spoken Japanese in about seven days. Um, yeah. No Damn. better place to do it than the Korekara podcast. Oh, oh, can I say? Can I say in English though? What? Well, yeah, yeah. Quickly to say. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I just, I, I, I just do feel that there's many ways to come in Japan. Like I came here in 2015, uh, essentially as a, I had a corporate career, I had a corporate career, and I got transferred. Uh, using Japanese to that level. You know, if you can have the other skills as well with a bit of Japanese, you can get quite, you can go quite far. And I do feel that if you sometimes try to adapt too hard, uh, it can actually limit you. Hey guys, thanks for making to the end of the podcast. Comment down below if you saw that episode of Terrace House that BJ Fox was on. But of course, we got to go shout out our patrons, Cedric, Jimmy, Faraz, Kevin, Alan, Darren, Drew, Jack, Joey, Cage, Nani, Meredith, MKSX, and Polar, Suzu, Yui, and Sad boy.